Uh, we're in Hebrews chapter 11. This is our fifth or sixth Sunday as we just go straight down Hebrews chapter 11. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. I don't like that name. I don't know who came up with it, but it puts the name uh, emphasis on the people. Like, and I hear people talk about the heroes of faith. Well, the emphasis should not be on the heroes of faith. The emphasis should be on the faith that they exhibited and what that faith did. That's what Hebrews, trying to, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is trying to teach us. It's trying to teach us that faith works out in our life. Faith is not just a noun. It is a noun, but it's also a verb. Faith does something. And we see that all the way through Hebrews chapter 11. And even in the few weeks that we've started this, in Hebrews chapter 11, we, we've seen this, and I, I've wrote it up there. We've seen that faith offers a better sacrifice than that was Abel. We said that faith pleases God, and that was Enoch. We said that faith built an ark, as plain as day in there, by faith, Noah built an ark. And last week we talked about how faith obeyed and went, and that was Abraham. The emphasis on, in this is not on Abraham. It's not on Enoch. It's not on uh, Moses, it's not on Noah, it's on the faith that they have in what faith does in our lives. Faith is a verb. And that has challenged me. Because I don't know if you're like me, but I can get a lot accomplished in my life because of me. I can do a lot. And I can just put my nose to the grindstone and grit my teeth and get a lot done in my life. And each of you here know what I'm talking about. But what God has challenged me on this is, is what is happening in my life that I can appoint, that I can point to God and says, only because of God is that happening in my life. Would, would there be such a day that anyone would ever be able to say, by faith, Mark, and then a verb there? By faith, Greg, and then a verb there. By faith, Jim, and then a verb there. By faith, Amanda, and then a verb there. By, by faith, Janice, and then a verb there. That's challenged me each week as I've looked down through Hebrews chapter 11. This is the first time in 20 years of ministry that I've, that I've preached on Hebrews 11, and it's just each week. What's happening in your life, Mark, that is by faith? Because there's a whole lot that happens by you. Because you know, you know what? I'll just work harder than the rest of you. I'll just work hard. I'll get it done. But what's happening in my life by faith? And last week we went through Abraham. Abraham is the father of the faithful. All Christianity points itself back to Abraham. All the Jewish religion points itself back to Abraham. The uh, Islamic faith points itself back to Abraham. And so he's an unbelievable character, and God has kept his promise to him. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, is where we were last week. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his as his inheritance obeyed and went even though he had no clue where he was going even though he didn't know where he was going God just said go and Abraham said where and God says I'll tell you when you get there and that faith in God puts Abraham in what we call the hall of fame of faith and we said last week and as you look at that verse i'm not making any of this up it says by faith abraham and then it has a little parentheses here when called to go da 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 then here's your verbs obeyed and went and that that tells us and this is what we tried to bear down on last week that tells us that faith leads to obedience 
Faith spawns obedience. Faith is not obedience, and obedience is not faith, but faith leads to obedience biblically. Biblically. Now hear me say this. I probably said it six or seven times last week, so no one un can understand. I talked to a 19-year-old kid this week and tried to explain it to him this way. It, faith leads to obedience. It's not perfect obedience. We don't have any examples in this Bible of human beings with perfect obedience. We don't. But see, it's the direction of your life that matters. It's just the direction of your life. Where are you headed? And, 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 and where are biblical characters headed? And we're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah today. And if you know anything about Abraham and Sarah, they had times of unbelief in their life. But they're remembered in the New Testament as faithful people. And that tells me it's not perfect obedience. The thing that I get concerned about in my life and what I'd like to get you to be concerned about, what is the direction of your life? It's not that you took a detour and then got back on the way and get all freaked out about the detour. No, just confess, repent, and get back on the road. What's the direction of your life? Somebody said it's not the perfection of your life, it's the direction of your life. And faith biblically leads to obedience. You just cannot read this book and find anything else. Is that faith leads to obedience. And, and, and Jesus says, by their fruit you will know them. I like, you, know, you know, everybody talks about Jesus and what a kind and uh, and loving person he was, and of course he was. But Jesus cuts right to the chase, man. J Jesus doesn't mess around with words. He says, by, you know, th this is not brain surgery, guy, gang. By their fruits you will know them. This is not brain surgery. And y you know that. I mean, come on. How, how do you know if someone is a loving husband or a loving wife? By the fruit in their life. Faith leads to obedience. Again, not perfect obedience. It's the direction of your life. When an, when an obedient person gets out of the way of God, they're quick, quick to repent and get back on the road. They don't live in unrepentant sin. Faith is faith and obedience is obedience. They're two different things. But faith spawns obedience. We've got a few verses up here. John 3.36. John 3.36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects, and in some translations it says does not obey. And so, and, and so they equate there whoever believes, but then it says whoever does not obey. So belief and obedience is kind of listed there as almost as synonyms in some translations. But whoever rejects the Son... If you believe, you have life, but whoever rejects when you're not obedient, and so, so they're, they're, they're listing there almost like belief and obedience is, is, is kind of that just one follows the other, as we've said. Romans 1.5, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way in Romans 1.5. He says, through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. To the obedience that comes from faith. If, if, if you try to do Christian things and it's not prompted by faith they don't amount to a hill of beans it's legalism it's legalism 
And there's a whole lot of people trying to make their way to heaven by giving money to a Christian college or something. And they don't have a heartfelt relationship with Jesus. Obedience doesn't lead to faith. Faith leads to obedience. Paul talks about the faith, the obedience that comes from faith. And Jesus just plainly said, just plainly said in 14, 15 of John, Jesus just plainly said, and my wife says this too, by, by the way. Does any of your wife say that? Mark, if you love me, you'll do what I say. It's not brain surgery, gang. Mark, if you love me, you'll spend time with me. Sue says. Mark, if you love me, you'll put that phone down and talk to me. Mark, if you love me, you'll listen to me and not interrupt me and tell me what I'm saying wrong. So if we understand that in a human plane, we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus says, come on, man, if you love me, just keep my commandments. This is not brain surgery. We've got a whole lot of people out there saying they love Jesus, but they're living like hell somewhere. And somehow we believe that they love Jesus, but they don't keep his commandments. <laughs> Again, Jesus says, by their fruit, you will know them. You got an apple tree. You got an apple tree. And you got apples. Everybody knows there's a difference between the tree and the apples. Everybody knows that. Nobody has any problems with that. That the apple is not the trees and, and, and the tree is not the apple. The, the tree spawns the apples. And if an apple tree doesn't produce apples, it's a dead tree, man. Right? Nobody doubts that. You cut it down and you plant another one. It's a dead tree. Or you, I don't know, I don't know anything about horticulture. You do something to the tree to make it alive again. Because if, a, if an apple tree is doing what an apple tree is supposed to do, it gives apples. And if it doesn't give apples, it's a dead tree. And Jesus said, it's, it's, you bear fruit. It's to my glory that you bear fruit. And you prove, by bearing that fruit, Jesus says, you prove that you are my disciples. John 15, it's all in that passage about abiding. You prove that you're my disciples by the fruit that you bear. I'm trying to tell you last week, and I'm just giving you a little review here, is that faith leads to obedience, biblically. You just can't think of any other way. You can make your faith up. You can invent a Christianity if you want to. But if you give a lick about being a biblical Christian, you have to understand, even though it's not perfect obedience, is that biblical faith leads to obedience. And that's what we learned in 11.8. Because by faith, Abraham obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, today we go to Hebrews 11.11. Hebrews 11.11. We're still in this whole story about Abraham, but we get talking about Abraham's wife, whose Old Testament name was Sarah, and his name got her name got changed to Sarah. Just like Abraham's Old Testament name was, was Abram, and, and God changed it to Abraham. 
And 11.11 Hebrews says, By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered... Can I tell you, this is not English, but it just bugs me when they don't capitalize the H. That just bugs me to death. Now, I know it's not proper English and all of that, but it bugs me to death. And if you ever read my book here, every single pronoun that refers to God is capitalized. I'm not getting to heaven because of that, by the way. But that don't have anything to do. That was just a little, little extra I gave you right there, okay? She considered him faithful who made the promise. She bore child through faith because she considered God faithful who made the promise. Now, I don't have time to go back and tell this whole story, but some of you know that, that Sarah was past childbearing age. She was barren, and Abraham was past childbearing age. And, but God told them that they were going to have a son. God told them that their descendants would be like the stars of the sky. Look up in the stars of the sky. If you think you can count them, which you can't, that's how many descendants that you're going to have. And also, if you know the story of Abraham and, and Sarah, you say, go, if you don't know that story, it's a, it's a marvelous story. Read from Genesis 15 to 21. It'll take you 15 to 20 minutes max this afternoon. Read that story. And you'll read, there's two chapters in that story, that Abraham and Sarah got out of the will of God. And people think that we have trouble, in, some people think, that we have trouble in the Middle East today because there's a child that was born to Abraham and Sarah that there shouldn't have been. Ishmael. But they tried to lean on their own understanding. And they figured that we're, we're past childbearing age. And so God, what God really meant was, you go with my slave girl, Hagar, Abraham, and you have relations with her, and then you'll have a son. And their life got messed up because of that. that got, their life got messed up because of their disobedience. See, I'm not talking about perfect obedience. I don't have a biblical character to lay out for you with perfect obedience. But when the New Testament looks back on Abraham and Sarah's life, they call them faithful. She considered God faithful who made the promise. So the big thing I want to tell you today is Sarah believed the promise of God. And what is faith? No more than believing God to keep his promises. I know there's a different definition of faith in, in, in Hebrews, and, and that's a much better definition than I gave you, but that, that's summarizing it there. What is faith? It's taking God at his word. It's taking God at his word. Faith is believing the promises of God and taking God at his word and not leaning on your own understanding was is exactly what Abraham and Sarah did for two whole chapters they said there's no way that you know we're both old and we can't have kids anymore so so you need to go have sex with my slave girl they they figured it out themselves and aren't we good at that as human beings and that's why one of the most crucial verses in all scriptures says lean not on your own understanding trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding but we like to lean on our understanding, and I'll be first in that line. Faith is taking God at his word. Sarah believed the promise. And she shows up in Hebrews chapter 11. 
even though there was ups and downs in her spiritual life. Now listen. You, you, you got the rest of your life and you'll never figure out every single promise that's in here. Somebody's counted them and there's just hundreds and hundreds that, that are given to every single one of us. But there are some promises that are not given. They're given to specific people. You cannot go... Okay, okay, Sue couldn't have kids. We've adopted both of our boys. But I guess if we were really Christian, we would have said, well, God gave that promise to Sarah. I'm going to claim it for Sue. God gave a specific promise to a person at a specific time in life. That promise is not for everyone. There's gobs of promises that God gives for everyone in Scripture, but also there are specific promises that God gives for, for specific people that he's called to do a task. So people hear messages like this and just say, believe in God promises, they start inventing promises. Well, I think God wants me to have a beamer. Well, I don't be honest with you i don't think god cares if you have a beamer or not go out and earn the money and buy a beamer i'm not sure that he cares enough about that to make it a promise he is <laughs> want to have a beamer go work hard and make the money and buy a beamer but don't claim what you want and somehow put spiritual tones on it and say god is pr- god has told me he's told you enough in here that'll preoccupy the rest of your life So we can get way out in the far country with heresy on claiming any kind of thing and just because God told Sarah something and God told me that too. And There's plenty of promises that are for every single one of us. Um, what do you believe in God for? What do you believe in God for? What am I believing God for? What promise am I claiming as my own, trusting God that that will come about in my life? Maybe you're going through a hard time in your life and there's lots of trouble in your life and maybe you're going through marital difficulty. Maybe you're, maybe you're going, uh, uh, got some health problems. Um, career problems, job problems, and things are just tough. And when people ask you, hey, man, how's it going? And you say, okay, you know you're lying. I got a promise for you. And it's to every single one of you. And it's to every single one that will claim the name of Christ. Because in Ephesians, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, God says his grace will get you through. The word sufficient in the, in the Greek language, you know what it means? Just enough. It doesn't mean that God's grace is just going to take me and just whisk me away and I just don't even have any problems. No, no, his grace will be just enough for you. In this world, Jesus said you will have trouble, but his grace will be enough. And isn't it interesting that in the context here, he told Paul, he says, Paul, when you're weak, then I can become strong. 
But so that's so counter of a 2022 type of mentality. Because in 2022, we think it's all inside of us, and we just have to believe in our stuff, uh, in ourselves, and we just have to reach real deep down inside of ourselves. And God says just the opposite. Mark, you have to believe you're not strong enough to get that done and watch me and what I can do in your life. But that's so counterproductive to what your teachers teach your kids. That's so counterproductive to the ways of the world. And that's why the Christian life is upside down, and that's why so many people have trouble with the Christian life. Because it's so upside down what we're taught in secular world. God says, Mark, if you will just come and admit that you can't get it done on your own, watch me start to work. God says in this verse and another verse, I'll get you through this thing, man. Got a bad marriage? Let's say Sue was a Christian and I wasn't a Christian. You know, I learned a, lot of time, a long time ago it takes two to tango in a marriage, right? It takes two to make a good marriage. So Sue's Christian. She's trying to lead the Christian life. And I'm not, a, let's say I'm not a Christian. And God will give Sue grace. To deal with oh honoring me that oh honoring me will ever come to Christ but he'll give Sue grace it doesn't mean that Sue will ever have the marriage that she dreamed of or wanted to in fact a lot of the problem rests on Sue because if I wasn't a Christian she shouldn't have married me in the first place right that's what the Bible says Some people have asked Sue, Sue, did you know Mark before he was a Christian? She goes, no, I wouldn't, have, wouldn't even have given him a look before he was a Christian. You know why? Because she was waiting for the right guy to come along. And she wouldn't even, I don't care how good looking I am. <laughs> she wouldn't have given me a second look. Because we weren't equally yoked. God would get her through that difficult marriage even though she made a poor choice and she's just reaping what she's sown in those poor choices. God's grace will get you through. Some of you deal with temptation and you have a sin that continues to beset you. You know, you know what the statistics say? 50% of the people that are in church today, 50% of the men that are in church today view pornography this week. That's what statistics say. There's great temptation. If I wanted to view pornography when I was 16 years old, I had to go to the seedy side of town. And now you just go scroll on your phone. James says, you know what the answer to temptation is? You know what James says? James says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And he will flee from you. The devil can't make you do anything. 
I can submit to him. I can give in to his temptation. Or I can submit to God. I can resist the devil and he will flee. Now, the, the, the weird thing about the devil, now I don't know if it's weird or not, but the thing about spiritual life, remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and three times Jesus said no? That passage ends in Matthew or Luke, one of the two renditions, the passage ends, and it said, that passage ends and said, the devil left Jesus for a more opportune time. You can, he'll flee, but can I tell you something? He's coming back. It's not a one-and-done thing. And each time he comes, each time he comes, submit yourselves then to God. I do not have to fall to temptation. I may fall, but the only reason I fell is because I didn't submit to God and I didn't resist him. Y'all remember Flip, some of you you that are old like me remember the devil made me do it. You remember Geraldine, don't you? Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil didn't. That's a horrible theology. Resist him. And how can I resist him? God's grace is sufficient for you. This is a real deal here, friends. I mean, everybody likes to talk about, well, we're not perfect. And we're not perfect. But God says his grace is sufficient for you. And if you want to resist, there's grace that will allow you to resist. And there's no temptation that I never came, that I never fell from, that I didn't just say, heck with it, I'm doing it anyway. I'm not submitting to God. I'm not resisting the devil anymore. What do you believe in God for? <laughs> what do you believe in God for? I don't have time to go too much farther in this. We've got people to baptize here but are you are you an anxious person a nervous person a stressful person some people are so anxious so nervous so stressful and that it's it's really hard on them and I, I appreciate that and relate to that I've known them I've had them in my office but I also know that Isaiah 26 3 says that that he will keep you in perfect peace whose minds are steadfast because they have faith, because they trust in you. What what do you believe in God for? Paul writes, he says, listen, don't be anxious about anything. And what did James say? James says, submit to God. That's what Paul says. In every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It's the same thing as submitting to God. God God says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't be fearful about anything. Pray about it. Talk to God about it. Say, God, I'm anxious right now, and I shouldn't be. Can I have some grace that'll get me through this? Just don't worry about it, God says. Pray about it. 
and then go on with your Christian life and trust him. And that doesn't mean that I might not have to do something afraid. I may have. I, we preached on that. You, there are times you have to do something afraid. But you do it afraid because you know God's grace is sufficient for you. And you know God will get you through it. And you don't cower back because, oh, I could never do that. Well, of course you can. Especially if God's called you to do that. What do you believe in God for? Sarah believed God for a child. She considered him faithful who made the promise. What has God promised you that you're believing? I'll close with this one. Do you need help? Do you, do you, are you just not smart enough? Or you just don't know which direction to turn? James 1, 5 says, If anybody needs wisdom, would you just ask him? And God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Is anybody like me? And they spend half a day trying to figure out the problem. And you just realize by 2 o'clock that you haven't prayed about it yet. What do you believe in God for? Sarah believed him for a son. God promised. Against all hope. Two old people. She considered him faithful who made the promise. I'm telling you this morning that faith is taking God at his word. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is believing that God will keep his promise to you. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that we enter the Christian life via a promise from God? That's the way we enter. And we have to believe that promise to even be considered a Christian, to call myself a Christian. I have to believe a promise of God. When he said, when Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the way that I enter the Christian life. I take that promise at face value. God, I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. I sure don't know how your son came to earth and became a child, born of a virgin. I don't have any of that stuff figured out. But by faith, I'm believing you. I'm believing you. It makes no clue. It makes no sense the amount of money that some of you all give here on a monthly basis. But you've counted him faithful to those he made the promise. And he says, if you'll honor me with a tithe, see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing upon you that you won't have room enough for it. And if we aren't tithing, it's not a financial issue. It's a trust issue. It's a trust issue. <laughs> One of the reasons we serve communion every Sunday is to remind us of the promise that God has made.
promise that God has made is that he's given us a gift. He said the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God has been eternal life through Christ Jesus. And every single service we close by remembering, because this is the foundation. This is where faith starts. Faith starts here, which leads to obedience. Faith starts right here. This is the cornerstone. We build on this, but this is the cornerstone. This is the foundation. This promise. There's a whole lot of more promises that, that in Scripture that, that are left for you as you mature in the faith, but it starts here. And so we try to remember it every single Sunday. Our servers are coming to the table. Father, the Christian life pretty much boils down to taking you at your word and believing the promises. But myself and a lot of us in here, we like to lean on our own understanding. That is the human condition. You understand that, and you tell us not to do it. You understand that we're just flesh and, and, and how weak that we are and how prone that we are to leaning on our own understanding and how hard it is to be able to walk by faith and not by sight. But Father, I pray that everyone in this room is believing you, that everyone in this room can, can point to you and say the only reason this happened in my life is because of faith in Jesus Christ. So, Father, as we come to the table, remind us that this whole thing starts with a promise. And we believe this promise to, to become a Christian. And then there's hundreds of promises left as we grow up. And we're no longer a baby Christian. We're no longer infants. We grow up into mature adults as Christians as we believe one promise after another. Help us. Convict us lead us. Thank you that your grace will be sufficient. I believe that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Our tables are open. Our altars are open for prayer. I'll lead you that will receive communion in the pews. I'll lead you there in just a minute.